Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very exciting and special episode of Radically Loved. This is Tessa here standing in for Rosie today. Rosie is off recording some wonderful content at Radio Headspace. And so I get the honor and privilege of introducing our guest. This particular guest has many different names that precede him. And one of them is Mr. Newts, Mark Mr. Newts Effinger. And we're going to talk about so many different things. I want to dive into many different topics, in particular, state optimization, state change, trauma recovery, this idea of being superhuman or going from sick to superhuman, mental wellness. So yeah, that's a lot of things. Mark, Mr. Newts, how are you today? Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Tessa. I'm great. I'm rocking. In fact, here, check it out. Check it out. You ready? Yeah. Ready? <laughs> What's he doing? What's he doing? These are new sweatshirts. No bad days. Yeah, and that's kind of the promise of nootropics are no bad days. Actually, ah. hold on. I know I'm off mic, right? And I will get. I'm doing. I'm doing a Mr. Rogers bit here. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love this. If you're <laughs> if you're just listening to this and not seeing it online, we just had a wardrobe change, and now Mr. <laughs> Newts is the epitome of Mr. Rogers. He's put on a suit jacket. <laughs> But say, so, say, tell us again what the back of your sweatshirt said, because I don't think everyone may have heard that. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it says, no bad days. It's Newtopia's logo. No bad days. Maximum focus, concentration, and creativity. Yes. When I started, I'm, I'm a business guy, meaning that I'm an entrepreneur from, from day one. And as a result of that, you start drawing things out in Gantt charts, timelines, minimum viable product, all of those things, as you're very well aware. Tessa, you and I both worked in venture capital, angel investment, the Silicon Forest up there in Vancouver. In fact, I attended Columbia River. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh. Jason Lee, uh, Lakeshore oh, cool. Elementary. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, Eisenhower. So, That's so yeah, small. that was my that was my stomping grounds. <laughs> oh, I love this. I, when I was seven, I picked berries at the Erickson Farms before it turned into Erickson. Oh, uh, no way! Uh, I had my first job was at Erickson Farms sorting the oh, cherries. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Are That's, you serious? <laughs> oh, we we're living parallel lives. How how crazy is this? I love this. I, oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so funny. Yeah, it's great. In fact, my brother. And I held him specifically. We held records for the long, what they called the, we had the long and short jaunt at Jason Lee, where you ran around the fence and then you ran around the track. The long jaunt yep. included the track. The short jaunt didn't include the track. Uh -huh. And up and from 1973 to 1993, we had plaques up in the boys' locker room at Jason Lee oh for fastest God. time at the jaunt. <laughs> That's hilarious. Gosh, the jaunt. I haven't thought about the jaunt. Yeah, since I was in middle school. I went to McLaughlin, right. so I was... Oh, you did? A little bit away from you. Yeah, my where I grew up, about a mile from where I currently live, I was in the school district of Fort Vancouver, 
for all of you that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the city <laughs> of Vancouver, Washington, which is the southernmost city in Washington state. So it borders Oregon and the sister city, or some people consider Vancouver like a suburb of Portland, just to Most place definitely. you in time. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways i don't know so you must have grown up in vancouver and now do you live in yeah, iowa I was, I was born at um what's the hospital right on main street on the way to to uh, 36th avenue and yeah and, yeah uh, that area. well i think it's changed hands since we were it, it, oh, many kids. times many times yeah it's now just an emergency hospital I think so but yeah. i was born there and my grandfather passed away there he died there oh, so what? kind of a we bookended that yeah. Our office is, you know, the office that we do, Newtopia, uh, where we manufacture our products. I do R&D here in Burlington, Iowa. I'm also on the river. I'm on the on the Mississippi River, bordering mm. Illinois, and a really neat place. It feels a lot like a, a Northern California wine area. Mm. So, and we're right down on Main Street is where the manufacturing is for uh, Newtopia. All the customization and all the all the packaging and shipping and fulfillment and all that stuff happens right there. I love that. <laughs> We were just yes. saying before we hit record that probably it's probably true that Mark and I have crossed paths many times in our life without knowing yeah. it. So this is really <laughs> fun to have it come full circle and, and to get to chat with you today. You know, I kind of skipped over what I think is a really cool bio for you. I, I do want to give people a little bit better of an introduction. So I'm going to read from this quickly um, sure. because I do have some questions about it. And so that is... Is from building a radio at five years old to building a helium neon laser from scratch before he turned 10. Yep. Science, chemistry, and physics have always been a passion for you, Mark. So now Newtopia is is like a brain-enhancing supplement. And my understanding, oh, is this your book? Can you this hold that up? This was my again? first chemistry set when I was six years old. Wow. Gilbert Chemistry. So, yeah. And I've got my I've got my second one around here too. It's pretty, it's a lot bigger. But <laughs> yeah, I, I happen to have my the guy that was uh, or that that was my stepdad, who was at one time my dad's best friend. When I was six years old, he recommended my parents to give me a chemistry set. Mm. I was begging for it, I'm sure. And then he guided me on my chemistry journey, starting then and then extraction journey and vacuum technology. And I had an MIT Xerox Park an individual that was graduates of both that at the end of the cul-de-sac I lived on, which was on, it was actually my, where my house was next to an Erickson farm. There was a beans, their green bean farm. And so, and we were talking about earlier about Erickson farms and how we had both grown up in Vancouver and Erickson farms were the local place that you went and picked berries and got paid for that when you were yeah. a little kid. Yeah. And yeah, it was great. But it was really lucky. I had these mentors, these technologically deep mentors all throughout my life who became both guardrails and the torch that I could aspire to. So, you know, you say making a radio at five, it was actually five and a half, but yeah, hand wound the coils and, and just, I saw an article in scientific American on how radios worked. And, and so I built that. And then and when I was nine and a half, my big, you know, we all saw Star Trek and, and we all saw the lasers and, you know, the phasers that they had on the, the show. And, and so I wanted to build one of those. And so I just, Buried myself at the old library down there. We're not far from where you went to school. And yeah. I would ride my bike down from the time I was seven years old. I would start riding my bike down every Saturday and just be there the whole time and do. I learned pattern recognition from that. I learned the Dewey Decimal System. I learned how you could cheat the system by getting more copies than they would allow by going to different librarians. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. I, anyhow, um, great stuff. But 
Yeah. The thing was, I had super encouraging parents, a perfectionist father who was formerly a Trappist monk, who was fantastic. He was a heating and air conditioning guy. And then a mom who was that you, everybody, you want my mom. My mom was the most encouraging, loving, thoughtful, optimistic. You can do anything. You guys are so smart. Um, and I'm one of six children. She had six kids. So she's a superstar. And yeah. And so that catalyst. And then I had, I had a stepmother that at one time felt that I just didn't have a lot of potential, you know, that I was, I was not approaching my potential, I should say. And I felt really beat down by her. So I wanted to prove to her that I wasn't going to be that thing that I thought that she was projecting on me. And then I had a stepdad who said, entrepreneurship is the key to living your dream. And mm -hmm. so that catalyst was so powerful to grow up in. And I used to walk outside. We, I lived right across from Jason Lee Jr. High School. And I would walk, my stepmom would get home. I would have a, a stack of Zeppelin albums on. This is when I'm in, in seventh grade, mm -hmm. or sixth grade. I would have a, a, a stack of Zeppelin albums on. Maybe Pink Floyd might stink in there and old old Elton John and some Chicago. And um, I'd put my headphones on and have a bong hit. And then I would pass out right after school. My stepmom would come home from work and she would, I would hear her go into the master bedroom. I would sneak out. I would warm up as I went to right to, I think it's ninth Avenue, um, right there or 20. Yeah, I think it's ninth Avenue. And then I would start running towards Columbia river high school, which is a mile away. Mm -hmm. And as I was running each of the street lights, when I hit a street light, I would say to myself, you're the smartest kid in school. You're the fastest kid that ever lived. You're going to be success. Right. And I would do that down to, and I would go faster and faster every street light, which is every two blocks. And then by the time I hit Columbia River, I was running pretty fast. And by the time I got back to Jason Lee, and actually I would go all the way to, to Hazeldale Avenue and back, is I would, <laughs> I love these markers. I'm sharing markers that nobody is going, everybody's going, what the hell is he talking about? But, but I get um, it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's I can, all I can see you. Yes. I would be sprinting by the time I got there, almost puking my guts out. And then I would come home and then, and then as we're having dinner, I knew that there was going to be, there was going to be the other side of that, which was, um, you're not doing well, or you're, you know, you're a failure or whatever. And so I was building my own internal dialogue. I didn't know to do this. I just did it because I knew that the voice of, of authority figures was louder than my own internal voice at the time. Uh. So I needed to try to get a balance going, or at least, you know, try to for a moment for the 15 minutes or 12 minutes or 10 minutes that it would take me to run two miles. I think I ran, I ran a 436 in seventh grade. So holy cow, um, you were fast. But, well, my, my brother was a superstar, man. He was, I think it was 428 is what he ran. Wow. He was a badass. That doesn't even um, feel humanly possible. But, but you know what I'm talking I, about where you where you have yeah. to, you've got to build a voice in your head mm -hmm. that is not the voice that is either outside your head or that you beat yourself up about, you yeah. know, the voice that says I'm not good enough for. Yeah. You know, well, so. so I have a question about that because I think I wonder often how it sounds to me like you're saying this was an innate thing that no one externally taught you how to do this positive self-talk, this Yeah, there was no, there was no Tony Robbins. There was no Tony Robbins event or anything like that. It was, right. um, I did read, I did read a lot and I read a lot of science fiction, obviously Arthur C. Clarke and, and similar Heinlein and, and other works. So I had a base of kind of intelligent discourse and dialogue in my head. And then I had smart people. I always hung out with older people. And so I had smart people to reference, but I kind of felt like if I didn't do that thing, if I didn't 
tell myself, you know, you kind of have the, you know, the pendulum swings where if a bad event happens to you, right, you swing the pendulum the other way and you, you know, they try to like the ultimate positive event. And then eventually that will kind of somehow balance out everything. You don't go just to, to normal. You don't go to the baseline. You go to this way above the baseline. To balance. Um, Yeah. And as you're young, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as you're young, you're exploring those areas as well, right? You're going, how far can I push this? And is it going to, you know, what's the effect of that? If I do this, what's the effect? And then how do I manage that effect? And how far can you push? We all had the friend that was the either the funniest kid in school or the smartest kid in school or the, mm-hmm. or the you know, the most beautiful person in school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they always had that kind of like, you saw that what that limit could look like mm-hmm. with them. Or you'd see Steve Martin in his first stuff, you know, and you go, oh my God, hold it. You can go that far out, right? And you'd see these people that approach the edge and they didn't die. They didn't get massacred. And in fact, some of them, that became their superpower. Mm -hmm. So in that self-talk, it was, okay, I don't have this. Externally, I'm getting crappy talk. So why don't I just kind of figure out who I want to be? And that was, I want to be smart. I want to be talented. You know, I want to be athletic and I want to be talented. I want to be recognized, right? We all want to be recognized. And, and then there's that overarching thing that says, I want to be successful because if I'm successful, none of the other crap matters because my success is going to, right. And which is also a great illusion, but it's also interesting to approach life through that lens. But yeah. yeah. Hello friends. Perhaps you've heard me talk about Remedy Plus before on this podcast, or you've seen me post about them on social media. I love this brand because they make the tastiest performance boosting products I've ever tried. And what makes Remedy Plus super special is that they use only the finest plant-based ingredients so you can feel great knowing that you're energizing your body naturally. Two of my favorite Remedy Plus products are their delicious chocolate berry flavored protein bar and their cinnamon agave flavored energy shot. And now these two great items are going to be made available for purchase together in Remedy Plus's newest offering, the Power Pack. Each Power Pack contains one protein bar and one energy shot. And it is a super smart way to fuel your body either before a workout or simply to tie you over in between meals. Look, we all know that when your batteries are running low, performance levels are completely affected. I choose to incorporate Remedy Plus into my daily routine because I want to get the most out of my day and I want to do so naturally. Remedy Plus products taste great and they help me raise my game in everything I do. See what Remedy Plus can do for you. Visit www.myremedyproducts.com to learn more. And if you use code ROSIE20, you will save 20% off of all of their great performance supporting products. That's myremedyproducts.com. Use the code ROSIE20. Or you can simply go to the info button of this podcast and click the link. I want to ask you a question as it pertains to how our brains and our bodies work with drugs and without them as it relates to the story you just told me about taking a hit off of a bong, sneaking out of your house, and then running what amounts to like (laughs) almost unimaginable pace to your school track and back. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, myths and assumptions surrounding what drugs do to our bodies and and how they affect our physical ability. But looking back on yourself when you were that age, do you feel like 
And this isn't an endorsement. Like I'm not saying go out and smoke pot and then go try but to you run. Do live in Wa- but you do live in Washington. So that's a I do live in Washington. <laughs> and I have very liberal, Rosie knows this. We talk about it all the time. I have very liberal hippie parents who nice. may or may not have run in this similar circles with somebody like your your dad, who was a monk, because my parents were at Brighton Bush and Oh, awesome. Know, doing transcendental meditation when they were in their 20s. So they were Right along that path as well. (laughs) Anyways, so yeah, the question is around, I'm not sure if there's a a very crystallized question, but I think you get where I'm going. No, I I get it. I I certainly get the gist of it. Here's the deal. Whether it's herbs or meds or drugs or, right, or pharmaceuticals or, you know, however you define these, these are different categories of things that alter our minds and our bodies and our physiology and our neurology. So let me give you a quick experience on this. I want to bring Newtopia into this because I one of the things that I built almost immediately after starting the technologies here, this is back in 2012, was I built a brain cleaner because of weed becoming legal. Mm-hmm. And here's why. One was that I found that people's response to neurological enhancers like nootropics was lower if they had residual THC in their system. So that was one. The other was when I, so I I started smoking weed when I was um, in fifth grade. I have older brothers and sisters. So I started smoking, you know, I had access to it and it was early, right? And and it was the (laughs) sixties and, you know, seventies. And so, so I'm in fifth grade and um, it took me 10 times of hanging out with my sister and her boyfriend and my other sisters and my big brother taking hits off of, we didn't have bongs back then. We had water pipes or we had, or joints, right? Rolling, rolling a joint, taking a hit. And it took me 10 times of doing that, 10 separate events before I got my first high. Mm-hmm. There's an inherent tolerance my body already had to it, to weed, to THC, right? Mm-hmm. But the other side of that, which I found more interesting was in seventh grade, after I had started track, my brother, my big brother, Doug, who was my hero, he's Forrest Gump in the flesh, literally. Doug said he quit smoking weed. He lied to me because he hated seeing me high all the time. Mm-hmm. And I had a gangster hat with a bunch of joints rolled in the, in the edge of the, like, and I'm wearing this to school, you know, I'm that kind of, I was that kid. So he told me he quit and he being my hero, I immediately quit smoking weed and got really serious about track. And I was this gangly, uncoordinated kid. So, you know, track was like a gateway into like, you can put one foot in front of the other, or you can, you know, do hurdles or you do the Fosbury flop, you know? And, and so I'm learning all these different sports, or different uh, track and field events. And so there was six months of that run I just told you about that I would do every night and doing the, you know, we had PE in school. So we had to run the, right. We had to run around the fence and around, around the track every day at school. And then events, any events that we had, it took six months of running daily. I woke up one Saturday morning and again, I'm, I'm in seventh grade, right? So I'm what, 12 or 13. I said, Oh, my head's clear. Mm. Meaning that the differential between my, and keep in mind that I wasn't like chronically stoned. I wasn't the guy that was always had a joint lit. I just, I would get high once or twice a day. I smoke part of a joint. And back then weed was so bad that I'm surprised I got high. But, But regardless, it took me six months of running every day, not smoking, to finally feel back to the point I felt before I had started smoking pot when I was in fifth grade. So... What that told me was some cognitive elements were realigning and some sludge was being removed from the synaptic gaps and 
and from the rest of the brain. If that's true at that age, at 12 or 13 years old, when, you're, when your body and brain are, are in hyper growth mode and being an athlete, like doing these athletic events, mm -hmm. that's a clue as to what drugs can, can do to you, know, the kind of side effects or the, the downside of those things. I'm not saying that it was, I, I'm glad I went through the experience. I wouldn't recommend it. I, I encouraged my kids away from it. I've got three kids and I encourage them away from it. And I encourage anybody away from it because if you can deal with life without it, you're a much more fulfilled and available person. But at the same time, it was a really valuable experience. So I'm going to segue into, so when I started building these solutions, these nootropic solutions, and weed was just getting legalized, is I felt that it would be really valuable to have a tool to be able to detoxify the brain quickly, elegantly, non-invasively, not painfully, not like doing a, a, a detox, you know, where you go in cold sweats, yeah. you know, for in the corner for, for three days and, you know, yeah. and, and, you, and suddenly like, so I, uh, that was one of the things that, that we call it mental reboot, but that was one of the things that was so important to me was let's get you a baseline that's going to be a really clear, clean baseline. And then we'll call that an OS, an operating system. And then let's put applications on that OS that are going to give you the things, the tools that are going to get you into the state that you want to be in to help you perform the things that are valuable, important, and meaningful to you. So sorry about that. That was a bit of a rant, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but that is that is my question is, I often wonder about, there's so many different ways you can look at something like marijuana, for example, or we could just call yeah. it the functional part of that, which there's so many different strains now, right? You have THC, you have CBD, you have Delta-8. Yeah. There's so many different psychotropic effects to this compound called marijuana. And you hear about like athletes using it for uh, relaxation or in place of something like a hard drug. Absolutely. So I always wonder about that. And then I compare it with my own experience, having experimented with this as a college student. I <laughs> I waited until college to start experimenting with those kinds of things. And my own Late personal bloomer, experience. Huh? What's that? Late bloomer? Yeah. Well, it was, it's interesting to me to look back on that, knowing now what I know about my parents, they hit it pretty well, but they were, like I said, in the sixties, experimenting with all these drugs, yeah. not just marijuana, but I had no idea when I was a kid, I had no idea. They just seemed like happy all the time dancing and like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I went to I college and I started to talk to them about these experiences and they're like, and then they would start to tell me stories. Anyways, where I'm going with this is I started to feel that brain fog myself. I also noticed that instead of making me feel like I wanted to relax and chill, I felt if I wasn't moving my body in some way, like going for a hike or doing something physical right. outside, I started to feel paranoid. So I quickly realized that that wasn't the thing for me to enhance my life in any way. And now I can't really, I don't enjoy it, you know? So I just, I always right. find it so interesting how different people experience that. I think chronic users get acclimated to it. And the other is I've got some extremely high functioning stoner friends. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they do great on it. And I, you don't even notice because they're either always stoned. Or there's their state, you know, when they're coming in and out of that, they just have, a, have enough of a tolerance built up that they don't seem to change. For me, I can't do it. I get stupid. My conversational skills go out the window. I love to observe people, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it was good for that. But yeah, but for me personally, so, but with that said, I do think 
that exogenous solutions to helping us optimize states are awesome. I played state tennis on mushrooms. So mm -hmm. I know that very intensive psychoactive events and my performance on a tennis court, it was really helpful to me. It got me out of my executive mind that was always critical of my, my stroke style or my, you know, those kinds of things and got me back. But I only had to go there once to be able to take that lesson with me forever. Kind of mm -hmm. like you hear about people having ayahuasca experiences and going, yeah. wow, it was trans, you know, it was transformational. And I lost sense of, you know, I, my ego went away and I suddenly saw myself for who I really was or, or I came back to who I really was. And I think that those are super valuable experiences. And again, I'm not critical on any of it. I actually worked with the folks to help make therapy using mushrooms in Oregon. I helped to, you know, to help push that along a bit. So I think it's a really valuable, critical thing. And I think we're going to discover more and more of these molecules that can make a profound difference in our being. I have two tragic stories about drugs or outcomes, I should say. Hmm. One is my wife died of an oxycodone overdose, intentional, it looks like, um, oxycodone, methadone, and alcohol all at the same time. So, and that was all given to her that started during a natural birth at home in Vancouver, right downtown. And so, but the midwife gave her four oxycodone. She tore a little bit after the baby crowned. So they gave her four oxycodone and she fell in love with them. And, you know, a decade later committed suicide on them. And then a year ago last month, in fact, my eldest daughter committed suicide after getting schizophrenic from having a bunch of different environments that seem to precede it. And we can't tell exactly what happened, but it could have been a bad trip that she had that triggered it, started it about three years prior, or it could just be after, you know, we got one of the best clinicians possible. And he said, look, Mark, he's 76 years old, said, I've seen, you know, I've seen 40 years of this and it's so unpredictable. We don't know what triggers schizophrenia. We don't know. We tried transcranial magnetic stimulation to get her out of it. We did a bunch of different therapies and nothing seemed to work. And eventually she decided that she couldn't deal with the voices in her head. And I, you know, I, anyhow, so I know how severe these things can be and also the reverberating traumas that they produce in the people, the surrounding people. Any of your listeners have ever considered exiting this planet as a way out of their own pain. I caution you to, to or encourage you to find somebody that you love or that loves you and just look through the lens of their eyes at not you not being there with them anymore. No matter how bad you think things are, there are people that are waiting for one little spark in you that will, you know, affect them in a positive way or change their lives. So don't exit if you can. Yeah. Thank you for saying that and for sharing. I am so sorry for your loss. I can't even imagine what that must be Thanks. like to, to now have to continue on without your loved ones. I mean, losing a, a child, I mean, and that's just a year ago. And yeah. now you're, I imagine in trauma recovery from that. How are you taking care of yourself and, and what does that look like for you? It's interesting. Thank you for asking, by the way, and thank you for your heart on that. One is I have probably the most encouraging, supportive team of people around me that anyone could ask for. Matt Galantz and Wade Lightheart and Andy Wilkinson, who are the core team of bioptimizers, are they're not just smart and they don't just know what they're doing when it comes to the things that they do, the products they make and the company they built. 
they're superhumans. Like they are super human. They are huge hearts. They are, let's rally around and get all the pieces necessary to make sure this person doesn't, doesn't, you know, fall and which they did. And in the middle, you know, when my daughter passed away, we were right in the middle of this, you know, building this company, this utopia thing. And they were, they said, take as much time as you need, do whatever you need. Let's make sure that you're healthy because we, you know, we should be a platform for health, wellness, and positive change. We're not just a, you know, supplement company. Mm -hmm. We are. And I think all of our, like one, one of the things we do, Tessa, every Monday, we have an hour meeting with everybody in the company on Zoom. So we got a hundred plus people on Zoom. And one of the things we do is we declare our mission, not like your corporate mission statement. Our goal is to make biological optimization available to everyone on earth. So I know that sounds flowery and stuff, but, but it, we really, everybody, I, I guarantee you meet anybody in our company in the hallway or at lunch, they've got this little layer going, yes, biological optimization is important. And we, as a team, we all close our eyes. And for one minute, we meditate on that as though we're, we're at Maharishi university, which I'm only 40 minutes away from. And we do this kind of mass meditation on this as a way to move the needle. And Matt will tell you that it's of all of the things we do, and we have lots of strategic technologies and platforms and, and processes is we believe that that is probably the most important thing we do every week. Hmm. So, because everything falls out of that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if, if, we're, if we're doing that right, if we really are, by the way, I, I just love your cat there. I love it. <laughs> you don't know you. how much I love it. It's, it's so great. <laughs> Yeah, I love it too. It's very comforting. Speaking of a state of meditation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I um have had the opportunity to witness Wade Lightheart in action. And anyone who's followed along with Radically Loved over the years has as well. He's been a guest multiple times. So I get what you're saying about the heart of that company. And it really comes through when you listen to Wade talk. So We'll make sure that some of those older episodes get linked in the show notes so you can listen to that. And Bioptimizers awesome. is like the parent company over... Newtopia yep. is like an arm of Bioptimizers. Am I correct in, yeah. in that? Correct. Yep. When my wife passed away, I had just participated in the sale of a company. We had taken a, a startup called prweb.com and we sold it. And, up in, and that was up in Bellingham area, up mm -hmm. in Ferndale, Washington. And... I tweeted as I'm watching the emergency personnel put a needle in my wife's breastbone to try to restart her heart. I was tweeting this. This is on my notepad was Twitter at the time. And my partner in crime, David McGinnis, who is the founder of PR Web, he, you know, immediately texted me back and said, Whatever you need, man, let's let's get you. And so he picked me up, me and my kids up in his private jet. <laughs> <laughs> took us up to Ferndale and then to Blaine, Washington, which is right on the border and said, here, why don't you set up shop here and you figure out what you were going to do for the next whatever. And so we worked on a number of companies together and I personally buried myself deeply in nootropics and how to do state change in a way that might help people with addictive issues or addiction issues, resolve those issues or maybe beat those issues. And then how to recover the brain after hardcore issues that might have because um, my wife my wife was no longer feeling like there was she wasn't experiencing anything positive from the oxycodone mm -hmm. she was addicted to it 
she's a beautiful woman. So she just went into small doctors in the local Vancouver area uh-huh. and would say, oh, I, I really hurt. I need this. And and so they would give her, you know, and then she would go to the next doctor and the next doctor. And yeah. so state change, what came out of that was one is it doesn't matter how cognitively high performing you are. If you feel like shit, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you if you don't feel good, the outcome is still you're the smartest guy in the room and and you you know you feel bad and you just want to hide away. Yeah. But it regardless of your cognitive performance, if you can feel good, but you can also elevate your decision making because you can improve that cognitive component, right? So you've got you've got positive decision making or clarity of decision making. And then you back that up with the mood, like being able to optimize your mood, optimize your state. Mm-hmm. Then you can combine that with executable energy, ATP. So you can execute on these better ideas that you've got, these better thoughts that you're having, and you can execute. You can create visible success in your life. However you define that. It could be not having the next hit. Yeah. Is that the state of being superhuman that the goal is to get to? Yeah, so let me let me give you the scale of, of superhuman. Yes, it, it is one of the components of it. I went to there's in Astoria, Oregon. There's a a rehab clinic that was there, and I would mm-hmm. go there every every four to six weeks, and I would just spend the weekend working with people that were coming in there that were coming out the street that were just really really bad, mm-hmm. and then I would build custom stacks of nootropics for them and help get them off the thing. They were going to be given a cocktail of sixteen to twenty seven different meds over the period of six to 12 weeks that they would be in the, in that rehab clinic. Mm -hmm. And then they would be committed to, or addicted to, depending on how you phrase it to two to four of those on the way out. And so my thought was, it sounds like a chemical cocktail of death. What if I could do something maybe a little bit more? One is like, what if I could shorten that from six to 12 weeks to, to maybe six to 72 hours? And what if I could get, people so that they felt good enough they felt optimistic enough that the pull of the drugs was less than the pull of having you know feeling great right Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of my my philosophy on that so the sick to superhuman scale came from analyzing these people over and over and over and eventually i had i had over a thousand beta testers i had a, a brainstorming software company at the time with the founder of Century 21. So we had a product called Idea Fisher and we had just under 400,000 customers, about 396,000 customers. And they were big customers. They were Nike and they were, you know, the advertising agencies for Nike, Whiting Kennedy. And, mm-hmm. and they were, they were Apple and Microsoft and a bunch of other companies. And they were Drew Carey wrote his comedy on it. And Pastor Rick Warren wrote all of his sermons with it and, and, and those kinds of things. So it was really very powerful lateral thinking software. So I sent these, my closest customers on that I sent who were also some of the smartest. I sent samples of my nootropics and said, how does this make you feel? And and that that led to this process of sick to superhuman. And if you've ever been through a health crisis yourself, by the way, when I moved here to Burlington, mm-hmm. I moved from Phoenix, Oregon. Ah, so okay. I, I moved from from where not far from where you went to school. Yeah, uh, you know the Medford area. So Chastity and I made that trek this direction. So the sick to superhuman scale developed out of that. And that was, I had a health crisis where I was hypothyroid when I was um, in my, in the early nineties as a result of one living in the Northwest. And, 
and working in, you know, working and commuting in, in these closed spaces under gray skies. And the other was, um, I was a white rat for um, Accutane when I was younger. So uh, uh, I took I was that too. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's I awful. Do. It's awful. I'm still dealing with some of the side effects of it. So Are it's you? that. Yeah, it's it was, and I was I was a bodybuilder at the time, so they gave me mega doses of okay. it. Okay, um, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go through a health crisis, there's a huge reality check that happens. You go, holy crap, I never want to feel like this again. Mm-hmm. Once you get out of it, and what do I got to do to get out of this? Because I can't do my, I can't live my life like this. It's just, it's debilitating. And it depends on what the health crisis is. I talked with Ben Greenfield recently and he says, Mark, he goes, I've never had a health crisis. I'm, you know, I'm going, okay, Ben, we're, <laughs> that's, that's where, you know, that's where you don't relate, but otherwise you did great. Well, I wonder about, but, do you have to hit rock bottom to be able to come to that realization that I never want to, to be able to make that I, lasting change? No, I think, I think some people do. I saw my dad, my stepdad become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, he always had a, a glass of whiskey with him, you know, from the time he got home from work and probably before. And I saw a number of those cases. I've had a number of friends and even family members who have been addicts before. And so I've seen that when it comes to the health crisis thing, I think it automatically becomes a reboot to your system. You go, okay, I got to get out of this and I got to figure out how to never get here again. And Sometimes that can be I, whatever the doctor tells me, I'm going to just take those meds and that's going to be my solution. Mm-hmm. And so you become, you kind of give your authority of your own body and mind up to a third party. I'm not condemning our medical professionals. I love them. I'm, I come from that space. My stepdad was a you know PhD and a medical professional, but there is a, a powerful thing that happens when you take command of your health and wellness that an epiphany happens, which is, holy crap, I can fully control the way I feel, how my body responds, how my mind works, the level of clarity or or bliss I want to have in my life. You can actually make a predictable models and you can create that on demand. And that becomes a radically empowering thing. I mean, that's what we did, what Matt did when Matt and I met, Matt Gallant, the CEO of Bioptimizers, is he took I had, I had like 32 different products at the time and he took those solutions and he bought thousands of dollars worth every month and he built a massive Google spreadsheet and he, and he started taking all of them and going, okay, this one makes me feel like this. Mm. And I've, and I've did this modification to it. It made me feel like this. I did this mod because everyone, everything we do is customized. Right. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And then at the end of it, he said, all right, there are nine products that I absolutely am in love with that work really well together. Let's put together a program that'll make it easier for people to dip their toe in the water of cognitive performance and and in state change. And then they can walk. I'm going to give them a, a, a path through that. Do so, we have to? So question about that as it relates to, yes, I believe your ability to affect your health outcome mostly lies in your hands. And I agree, like, in especially in this country, we often give that authority to a third party, like a doctor who's studied that. I wonder yep. about the person who is very super conscious of what they eat nutritionally, how they sleep and exercise, all of those things, like they're doing all these things right, quote unquote, right. yet still are feeling like lackluster, still struggling with getting feeling like they get adequate rest, then do we always need the supplements or can this be something that, <laughs> what are you holding up there? Is that Newtopia? That's, that's our new, that's our new, our new sleep breakthrough. Sleep breakthrough. But, um, <laughs> yeah. 
Because I think I, sleep is a superpower. Sleep is the world's most powerful stimulant. From my perspective, if we fix sleep, personally fix sleep, if we do that, we're way more than 50% of the way to optimum health. If we just get the sleep thing happening, because uh, so much repair, restoration happens, a reorganizing of our brain, right? The, you know, things get, get cataloged and categorized and organized. Yeah. And then we also build up hormones and other critical elements that allow us to actually operate at a high level. So yeah, so sleep is a, is a big deal. Well, what if you're not sleeping and you feel like you're doing everything right? You got to fix that. You have to fix sleep. Believe me, I've had, I've had periods where, you know, you talked about, about weed paranoia or that, mm -hmm. right. That anxiety that can come. I, I tried that. I tried using weed to get to sleep and it worked for a while. Yeah. And then it got me into that, this anxiety state where I'd wake up at somewhere between two thirty and four with like cold, almost cold sweats, like my heart palpitating and I'm going, ah, and mm -hmm. thoughts, racing thoughts, the exact opposite of what I thought weed would do, you know, get those. So, so yeah, so I, I changed that routine, eliminated that routine, but it is a baby step thing and it is a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. It's super important to, to, one is like, I document what I take and I mm -hmm. get blood, saliva, right? Urine, um, hair analysis tests, you know, try to do that on a, at least a quarterly basis just for myself because of the, one is because of what I do for a living. Yeah. And the other is because I want to, I want to figure out if, if, am I really moving the needle here or am I having a placebo experience? It's just really good. Yeah. And so it's super important to do that. And there are going to be times in your life when you're completely out of whack, even if you're you're eating the right foods, you're hydrating well, you're meditating, you're doing all these things. There are outside forces, some very obvious and some not so obvious. It can be as simple, I mean, as simple, as simple. It can be a toxic relationship. I remember I sold my first company and I would drive to work. And after about, after about 18 months, I was suddenly, as I'm driving to work, my stomach would start to churn and I would get in and the only excitement I had was driving on a back road um, in Philida as fast as I could to work. And just the white knuckle experience of driving way over the speed limit in my racing RX-7 to try, you know, to try to get into work and then going into this kind of monotone phase. Mm -hmm. So what's important is knowing one is that, is that there are tips, tricks, things that you can do. Some of them very obvious. Some of them you you're reading a book, you're listening to a podcast, or you, you, you try something, it can be an emergent thing. Like when I was building this, um, it's called Xamner Juice. That was because a lady came to me and said, Hey, I'm about to get road rage. She owned medical clinics in Portland and Vancouver and COVID hit and she's going nuts mm -hmm. and she's get caught in traffic. Traffic is still a problem. Mm -hmm. She's caught in traffic and she's going, I'm getting road rage please get me out of it. And so it was like, she didn't know that you could combine a bunch of GABA precursors along with some, some biologically available or, you know, neurologically available GABA. And you could actually optimize the brain into a relaxation state without losing clarity, without losing energy and drive. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's where that kind of came from, but it was a, a byproduct of going, okay, she was doing everything right, but she needed an exogenous solution that helped her to get into a state that then she could memorize that state or kind of go, oh, that's what that state is. Oh, that's a state of optimized relaxation. And my GABA, right, the, the GABA neurotransmitters and the GABAergic activity 
is going to get me into this kind of relaxed, but high performance state. Like a lot of people that are on Adderall or similar ADHD meds, which are a high stim methylphenidate and, and similar, it's a very high stim, almost a meth-like, speedy-like environment, which makes a lot of people that have ADHD, it makes them feel focused. Mm -hmm. You can also get that state without that thing by getting into a high GABA state where the distractions that normally occupy your mind fall away because you're no longer agitated and you're no longer just tracking on every bright object that shows up in your field of view. Yeah. So it's just important to, to look at those factors and realize that sometimes we're going into a physiological and neurological, hormones are huge, hormones are huge. We're going into a transition state in our physiology and neurology. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Know that every somebody's been through this. Yeah. One of my big solutions, Tessa, is I find a song that is the, the lyric is related to the thing I'm going through. Oh, and I've, I've got a, I've got a, a, an encyclopedic knowledge of music in, in references, right? Because they've saved my life so many times. Mm. And I use that as a guiding rod. One day I'm driving into this company in Philida that I that had bought my first company. And there's a song from Peter Gabriel called Salisbury Hill. And it's about him leaving the band Genesis and, and fearing that he's leaving everything behind. Mm -hmm. They were just getting popular. They were starting to fill stadiums. And, and then he's going, I'm out. I can't, I, you know, I'm not doing the art that I was meant to do anymore in this band. I've got to go do something else. And so I made myself a little, you know, a little promise, right? You make those little prayers. You go, you go okay, God, if this song comes on three times in any one day, then that's my clue because that was him leaving Genesis and I needed to leave Orion Industries, the mm -hmm. company that I was at at the time. And I literally got to my parking space. It came on that day. The lyrics were about a guy leaving success to go into the great unknown yeah. and, you know, right, fearing everything and going, oh, I'm God, am I ever going to be successful again? What about my royalties? What about everything? And one of the lyrics in the song, the last refrain in the song talks about him instead of taking it with him it's about leaving it behind so that you can actually go and do that new thing mm -hmm. and it's so resonated and, and of course i get in the car at lunch and the song comes on i drive and i change channels and the song comes on i'm going all right <laughs> i don't know who's i don't know who's okay, saying telling me this thing. yeah 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 but, but i'm gonna go move on it and it was it was it was so transformational and it was so scary and it was so beautiful because what I didn't understand about that, and this applies directly to your health, what you don't understand is that when we, instead of fighting the thing that's trying to get, you know, the, the thing that's kind of like compelling us to go in this new direction, instead of fighting it, if we kind of not resign, but if we just say, you know what, I'll bet something rocking is on the other side of this. I, I wonder what cool thing is gonna happen that is an empowering statement. It's not a fearful statement anymore. It's not a lost statement. It's not a scary statement. It's recognizing that cool shit happens to us. And if we just embrace the fact that the reason that we're here, we're still here, we're able to have this conversation is you and I have been through all kinds of stuff and we've made it out the other side and overall good stuff has happened to us. Hmm. And taking on that mindset and realizing that, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know. And the unknown has bigger possibilities than the known that I can get my mind around. The yeah. unknown has greater opportunity. 
it's got greater expansion of thought and self and life. And if I can embrace the fact that that unknown is good and that unknown is here to support and encourage and fulfill and serve me, then suddenly it gets much bigger and much better. And it's a big, it's a big laugh then, right? Yeah. I love that. It reminds me of this. When I was in college, I had a teacher who gave me, I had graduated from a particular course we were studying. And at that graduation, he gave me this, it was kind of like a poem, but it said something to the effect that when we reach the end of all the light that we can see, we must take a step into the darkness of the unknown and believe that one of two things will happen. We will learn to fly or there will be something solid at the end to catch us. I always think about that, but at the same time, I I so resonate with this, like, why is it that the unknown is so scary and so uncomfortable when you're right? Like it's so much bigger and more expansive and the possibility is endless than what our current state reality is. It just feels so hard to trust. For me, the word is trust, right? Yeah, it is. And that's, you know, we talk about a trust fall or, you know, I I try to think of it as a more of a Pearl Jam mosh pit, but you get the gist. Um, (laughs) I was in a major fight with an investor at one point on the front porch of my house overlooking the Columbia. Mm -hmm. And so this is on just off Highway 14 in Vancouver. And it was a battle royale. She was a pint-sized thing. She was not nearly as I'm six three and two hundred pounds, and she was probably five two and maybe a hundred. And she's screaming and yelling about this project that we had invested, we both invested in. And she was just, just rah. And I had three decisions to make in that, in the midst of that, as the neighbors are starting to come out, going, "What the hell's going on over here?" Is I could either overpower her. That would have been easy for me. I could dodge and weave and say, yeah, well, what about this? What about that? You know, I could try to play a game, you know, a mental game with her, or I could embrace and love her from afar. I just kind of literally, I felt like myself, like I was leaving my body and watching myself there. And instead of trying to control the outcome, which is what I would always typically try to do, right? I'm a type A entrepreneur. I want to manage outcomes as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, what I did is I said, I'm not going to control anything. If this goes good or bad, it doesn't matter. In fact, I'm not even putting good and bad. I'm not titling it anyway. Cool stuff happens to me. I wonder what cool stuff is going to happen here. And I just resigned it. If the investment went bad, I lost everything. So be it. Mm -hmm. If the investment went great, awesome. If something I didn't know could happen. And what happened, Tessa, was something I couldn't even have imagined. She started crying She put her arms around me and said, I'm so sorry. I'm having so many challenges in my life. And I know that you are always here to do good and that you've always been supportive of me. And things turned out, I could not have defined the things, the good things that came out of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to understand that I don't mean to sound woo-woo. I'm one of the least woo people you'll meet. And yet at the same time, I cannot deny that there are things that I can't get my head around that are way bigger. And this was one of those cases where I came to the realization that me trying to control stuff meant that I was putting it into the confines of what my cognitive biases are, what my cognitive limitations are. And by relinquishing control and letting the universe play its game or her game, I think, I think it's a she, if the universe is anything, it's definitely a she, is it expanded so far beyond my own belief system that it opened up this new gateway. And the gateway was, was a belief that 
not only do good things happen to me, but good things that I couldn't even define if I had to happen to me because I'm no longer trying to control things. I'm dancing with the universe and I'm playing this game that is all about kind of exploring and goodness and expansion. It's this beautiful thing instead of this thing that has to be very finite controlled. It doesn't mean that when I, when I design things like this, that I don't very specifically try to understand your neurochemistry and biochemistry. And I try to make it just for that. I'm not talking about being an idiot, but I am talking about not having that vice grip on everything and not feeling like if I don't absolutely know what the outcome is, that it sucks. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, I don't know what the outcome is. Oh, I wonder what cool surprises are in store for us. Yeah. It's, that's such a nice reminder. I love that. I want to be mindful of your time. I feel like we could just chat all day. I wouldn't mind that, (laughs) but I do want to ask a question on behalf of Rosie. She asked me to, to ask you this. And then I have, I'll narrow it down to two more questions. And then I'll let you go. <laughs> so from Rosie, she's curious about what your thoughts are on on the future of mental wellness. Oh, wow. I, I love that. It's a big thing to me because ultimately, isn't that what we're doing? Right. <laughs> you know, you talk about or what happens when you have a, uh, when you have a, you know, a physical crisis. Well, usually there's a mental crisis that either preceded it or follows it. Yeah. And so... I think that there's one is I've had, I had a profound experience recently using magnetic therapy and I've had some experience with psilocybin in the past when I was young. And I think we're right on the cusp right now of emerging technologies, molecules. I just got back from a trade show in Las Vegas of people that brought their really weird advanced extractions and molecules out and said, We've got something. We don't know what to do with it. Could you oh. make something cool out of this? Okay. And that's, that's, I'm, I'm very fortunate. That's what I get to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of new tools available. I don't just think it. I know it. You know, I get to speak with some of the leading minds in this area. We have new tools that are coming available and they're continuing to advance beyond what we've classically called, you know, have done as meds and as, as topologies and therapies that we've taken. So, and the cool thing is there's, there's combinant, you know, there's combinations of therapies now that we can use that potentiate the outcome. So you can do recently, I had a magnetic ring put on my back. I have a bad vertebrae in uh, lower vertebrae and from a car rat accident. And I had this magnetic ring on there and I was doing the same thing with my head. There were two connected. They were very high power and they're pulsed. So there were pulse magnetic fields and you could feel it. I mean, your body jumped Mm -hmm. and not only did it, did it help cognitively, but it started rebuilding the vertebrae in my back, which also relieved my thinking process. The little bit of overhead Mm -hmm. that maintains that thing. Like I can't do this, or I need to watch that, or I can't lift this, or I got it. right. That, or, or that's going to be painful. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of having that, that went away or it faded significantly because of this therapy. So this physical therapy became a cognitive enhancement tool. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge thing that's going to happen. We've seen it with whether it's massage therapy or, you know, maybe even Reiki or some of those things. Mm-hmm. We're doing uh, micro needle therapy, any of those things. And there's even got some cranial technology over here, put a device on and have some optical outputs. So there's a lot of that going on. The other is you can combine it. Like you can, one of the things I love to, I, I love about, you know, what we do, like here's one of the solutions that we do. Um, it's called Collagenius. 
If you haven't received some, I'll make sure you get some. Mm, but it's a very, very rich, high extraction mushroom and collagen blend. Mm -hmm. And it's the equivalent, every dose is the equivalent of a pound and a half of mushrooms like lion's mane and red reishi and, and then collagen as well. And what it does is it is there's a thing called BDNF, brain-derived nootrophic factor. And that's kind of the, the seeding and the fertilizing of the brain so that you can create a thing called neurogenesis, which is the creation growth of new dendrites and new neurons so that you can program new neural pathways. So when we talk about therapies, we often talk about this event that we're going to go into and then the outcome of that is, you know, is maybe a, a slightly more advanced condition for us, a, a more positive condition. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about a little bit about sick to, to superhuman, right? So that, that scale is sick, suboptimal, optimal, superoptimal, and then superhuman. Mm -hmm. And you can't, just like this guy, Andy Hubes, we can't live in superhuman, but we can go there on occasion. We can optimize all the factors in our lives and we can go there on occasion. But when we start building new neural pathways because we have neurogenesis happening, we are able to create this pathway that we can uh, we can attach ourselves to or we can call up on demand. And so we can go to that place much easier. And over time, that becomes an almost instantaneous event. Mm -hmm. Do I want to feel happy? Cool. I know where to go. I know my brain knows where to take me there. I can close my eyes and go into state, or I can open my eyes as I'm driving on the freeway and get into state. And I can decide to be happy and I can watch my whole neurology and physiology go into that state. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the ultimate end game that we're going to be able to get to. I mean, we can go to, you know, we can talk about Elon Musk and, and about cranial implants and those kinds of things. Those are going to happen. But ultimately, without having to be invasive, there are a number of technologies that we are going to be able to apply and combinations of technology, meditation, massage, right? I've been doing TM since I was eight years old, uh, or a version of TM, I should say, when I, since I was eight years old, um, box breathing, heart rate sinking, and some other, some other things. Uh, and it's profoundly changed my life from what it probably would have been without that. So, so that's what I think. I think that, yes, I think that we're going to be able to dial up states and we're going to be able to build a better brain and in that build a better body because we're no longer going to be kind of playing this tug of war between those two. We're going to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go into this state. That state's going to affect how all of my hormones change and, and the, the different flow within my body. And now I can just live that new state. So. Mm. I love that. That's one. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. So I don't... I, <laughs> a beaker of Nectar X. A beaker oh of gosh. Nectar X. <laughs> I love that you're drinking out of a beaker. <laughs> do you have a hard stop? Because I do have a question that may or may not be no, a long answer. Hit, hit me, hit me. I opened up. We I have a thing called the Zamner Hour I do with Matt every Friday. Uh -huh. The Zamner Hour being... Zamner is his word for the ultimate state you would have if you were at a rave. <laughs> That's Zamner, <laughs> right? Okay. We just went and saw. We just went and saw a, a DJ named Zoo Z H U uh -huh. down in Austin, Texas. Matt and, and Chastity and I well, were down there for an event, and we went and saw Zoo, and it was awesome. I, I had never been to a rave, so we've got this DJ up there. He's got a full band, by the way. It's not just him spinning discs. And a full band, and he's got a camera on. He and the band projected behind him, so you get to see. Like it's like watching Dave Matthews, except it's not Dave Matthews. It's this DJ spinning discs, and you've got people coming in that are wearing the most outrageous 
you know, Lou Reed's era garb as they're dancing and just grooving to the, to the tunes and this flow happened. It's, anyway, it, was, it was really great, but uh, <laughs> so yeah. Fun. So that's my only hard stop is like three 30. So we're oh, good. Okay. let's rock. Gotcha. <laughs> I won't keep you that long, but no, no, no. Um, okay. So I guess the question around this is it sounds like you have some good, very easily, freely accessible habits and behaviors, rituals that maybe you perform in the morning and the evening. And so I'm wondering about what those are. And in combination with that, what are your thoughts on caffeine? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Now, do you, do you know who Andrew Huber, Huberman is? Are you familiar I, I with I know him that yet? name. Why do I know okay. that name? So this is the guy, and I was very fortunate to get to spend um, he was he was actually at the Schnitz uh, recently at the Schnitzer Hall. Oh my gosh! Uh, and uh, just incredible. So he's a Stanford trained neuroscientist and ophthalmologist, and just a really badass dude. Lex Friedman suggested to him that he get involved in podcasting, and so he did that. And now he's mm-hmm. turning around, but really cool guy. So one of the things that he taught me and a bunch of other people is this is on the caffeine subject, by the way. On okay. that, and then we'll go into a routine. Thanks. So is now, my my sweetheart, who parks her butt right next to me in the same bed, she uses caffeine. She has very steady, high energy all day, and then she crashes at the end of the day. Mm. She's it's over. And I don't mean at four o'clock. I mean at like like ten o'clock at night, right? Okay. She's just it's gone. Yeah. I, I don't know how many movies I've watched the the last three quarters of it alone. <laughs> <laughs> if it's past ten o'clock, she's not going to make right, it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So she likes it first thing in the morning. One of the things that, you know, you talk about adenosine receptor agonism, which is what a caffeine is. Mm -hmm. So your adenosine levels, right, are are building. And when you have a stimulant first thing in the morning, right, what you're doing is you're tricking the body into blocking the adenosine receptor. So your adenosine levels don't get a chance to obviate. They don't get a chance to chill out, Mm -hmm. right? So as a result of that, you've, Put yourself in a loop. And that loop is, I'm going to block that adenosine receptor. Adenosine's not going to have nowhere to go. So it's going to stay at a fairly high level. So as soon as that caffeine wears off, 90 minutes roughly, right, 45, and it has its long tail, I'm going to suddenly feel like I need more caffeine. Mm -hmm. And you can get into that. But here's the trick. If you wait 90 minutes before you have your first cup of java, that adenosine has already been, has started to mitigate. And so... Not only will your wakefulness be better, but you won't have an afternoon slump. So there's the caffeine solution. And it's a really great one. The other thing is to make sure you get daylight first thing in the morning. But yeah. yeah. So you wake up, wait 90 minutes, don't have any caffeine. But then after 90 minutes, you can have caffeine. I'm asking this as a definite coffee addict, if you can't tell. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so what is right, for a couple things, because you live in, in the part of the world where there are so many great, I'm a huge Stumptown fan. Yeah. And there are so many great coffees out there. What do you have a favorite right now? So I just discovered a new one in Vancouver. It just opened a couple months ago. It's called Richmond hub and it's an African coffee. It's so oh, wow. delicious. It's so delicious. <laughs> I mean, we have all of these artisanal coffees, as you know, in the Pacific yeah, Northwest, absolutely. and they're all so good. So I love the way it tastes more than I love the way it makes me feel. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have, Matt was telling me, Matt lives in, Matt Gallant lives in Panama, and he spent a lot of time world traveling. And he said, you know, he's he's used to now coffees that don't have the bitter burn taste that you would have of a Starbucks. Correct. Or a, yeah, they're right? very smooth. Yeah. 
very yeah. easy to drink. They're very flavorful. It's not like, oh, I'm drinking this right. bitter, dark coffee. Right. I mean, I drink it black out of my espresso machine okay. and it is just rich and decadent and delicious. What do you want to feel first thing in the morning? What, like what to you, what's the ultimate wake up and how would you like to like, what's your expression of emotion that you like to have first thing in the morning? Oh, I love this question. I would love to wake up feeling energized, rested, clear, ready to go for a run because I'm a runner. And like I have yeah. the energy to pound out nine miles at a good pace for me, which would be like a nine minute mile. Oh, that's great um, though. At that length, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I want to feel in the morning. What's on your soundtrack? What do I listen to? What music? Yeah. When I'm running that distance, I typically don't listen to music because the pace changes so much in music. Mm -hmm. And so often I'll listen to like an audiobook. book. Um, okay. I do love music. And because I'm such an early bird, if I'm waking up in the morning, I try to stay quiet. Everyone else is still sleeping. But if I lived by myself, I'd probably listen to something like Odessa, which sounds to me like that rave that you went to a little bit. Yeah. It's like that electronic kind of, not house music. I don't even know how to describe it. There's like a DJ Odessa. and a band and all the things. <laughs> <laughs> it's very not indie rock, but on the spectrum of that. But I love folk music. That's probably my favorite favorite type of music is folk. Oh, love it! So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn you on to somebody. There was a band called Gorillas. Yep. In the '90s, I remember okay. them. And then, yeah. and then there was a a band called Blur that is the same singer. His name is okay. is Damon Albarn. Albarn A L B A R N. So here's here. You ready? You're gonna get a little taste of this. You ready? When I'm lonely, press play. So that's called Lonely Press Play, uh, okay. Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Albarn. And, um, and then there's another song that he did with Blur. A lot of these are from Blur, but uh -huh. I've gotten into his private catalog recently. I, always go, I go down these rabbit holes of I find a vocalist that's within my range that I love their melodies and I love their phrasing on. Yeah. And they've got to have great lyrics and they have to have great music. I'm, yeah. I'm such a snob that I can't have somebody that's got great music, but their lyrics suck or they're cheesy or they've got... They've got great lyrics and their and their music is cheese ball. Yeah. So I'm with um, you on he's, that. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's the one. And in fact, Tom York from Radiohead, one of his favorite is Damon as well. So mm -hmm. that's a good testimonial, right? Is mm -hmm. um we should like swap song lists sometime. Oh yeah. Uh, I have list. so many playlists on Spotify. I'm obsessed with music. <laughs> and I'm similar to you in that. Well, I grew up with my father was always playing the guitar. My mom awesome. was singing. We, we, there was music all around us all the time. And we were listening to Three Dog Night and, you know, typical stuff like the Beatles and Fleetwood Mac. and Right. And Johnny uh, and Crosby, Stills, Nash. Yeah, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah. I saw them live a couple of times when we lived in San Francisco oh. because Neil Young does, Neil Young. does a benefit yeah. concert. And he invites all of his friends and people, right. like all kinds of people come to this concert. Arcade Fire, Sarah McLaughlin, Ray LaMontagne, all these people come and see. Oh, Ray LaMontagne, that, that is a butter voice, man. That is oh, incredible, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. My, my uh, former wife, she actually played Neil Young's girlfriend in a movie shot in Portland. Really? What movie um, is this? Called Love, called Love at Large. And it was, uh, yeah, it's great. And Neil Young plays a gangster type and he she played his his uh, girlfriend what? in fact she's driving around and and, she, and we're and she's also she was a great singer and uh and guitarist as well and the kind of music runs in our family 
So as they're and they had to they had to basically put themselves in a limo all day and go and shoot the scene over and over and over. And Neil is asking her, he goes, so what are you thinking about? And she goes, I'm thinking about being with my one of my greatest heroes, um, you know, in, right? in a limo. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of Wild. crazy stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. well, OK, it's, so that's the caffeine question. And then the other part of that question was around your your daily habits, your rituals, your morning and your evening bookends. Yeah. Are you ready? Ready. I love it. So when I wake up in the morning, I have a very short but effective gratitude kind of practice. I don't even, I, I don't want to call it a practice because it sounds like it's something you have to work at mm. is I have such an amazing life. I'm such a fortunate guy. I should be roadkill and I'm not. I was, you know, at one point I was over the intercom in my high school, which at the time was in Salem, Oregon, is uh, they announced me as one of the top three people least likely to succeed. I was... I was failing my sophomore year in high school. They announced um, this on the intercom. Jeez. Yeah. The dean of boys was also the the tennis coach, and he was trying to shave me into uh, to getting my shit together. So the shame method. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, so I, I just, I, I wake up and the first thing I do, I, um, so I've got my dog August Augie, who's a a golden doodle. He's a he's a full size golden doodle. We thought he was going to be a tiny one. He's ended up being full. So he. He'll, he's waiting, he's waiting impatiently for me to get up. So he's kind of like either at the edge of the bed or on a, like a little dog blanket over on the floor, you know, with your cats, like I'm a huge cat person, by the way, there's this connection with these animals that you know, that you're the support for them. You're the, you're the support system for them. And yet they have no idea how much they give you. And so I get that love and I get that that thankfulness and I look around me and I go, my God, I can't believe this life I get to live. So that's my first thing. And then the next is outside of, you know, going to the bathroom and and lighting up the coffee pot for, for chastity and turning the temperature up a little bit is I go into a 17 to 22 minute binaural audio um, enhanced meditation. Mm -hmm. So... I do a 17 to 22 minute meditation. And part of that is kind of organizing my thoughts for the day. I don't get into, I try not to get into bullet lists or anything like that. I, I try to just try to go, you know, what would be the most powerful day today? And then let the things flow in that would be valuable without trying to over-occupy my mind, but without working at trying to have zero thought. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not trying to work it at that. I'm just trying to let the thing flow and feel what's going on. Just before I do that, by the way, I typically will will take um, outside of I, I take um, desiccated thyroid because I'm I am hypothyroid, so I just replace it with natural desiccated thyroid out of out of um, New Zealand, and then I take my nootropic stack of the morning that will get me into the state that I want to operate in based on the activities I have going that day and what time it is. So prior to our conversation here. I had a brain flow and an upbeat, which are a uh, essentially a nootropic that has a very serotonergic um, lean and just a tiny bit of dopamine in there. Mm -hmm. So I was like welcoming it and can't wait for this. And then I, I juiced up with a little Xamner to get the GABA receptor activity going. And then I like to do, I'll feed Augie and I will do a set of, a set or three of weights so I've got a, a bench and I've got some variable weights and they go to 55 pounds each. And so I get these dumbbells and I'll do some weight training 
and then that gets me into the to the kind of like now my my now my physiology is happening. Mm-hmm. I stare at the sun. I don't stare at the sun. I face east and I let the sunlight grab my eyes. I let that kind of soak in. And again, I, I kind of try to keep the appreciation going. And then I try not to, the biggest thing as an entrepreneur that is a challenge is not burying myself immediately in the activities that would overwhelm my day and, and own me. Yeah. And that's why the meditation is so important. And then again, I adjust my neurology so that I will be in the state that I need to operate in to be able to have the best kind of leading thing that morning while also doing a little bit of physical activity, which both enhances hormone levels and neurology. And hopefully, I mean, if it's a great morning, we're making love. If it's a good morning, we're hanging out with our dog and and I, you know, teaching him tricks. And then it's, you know, it's really, we have uh, mostly organic food that we grow or raise locally. And, and uh, she's a champion at building in our kitchen, building enough sprouts and other greens that we can actually just kind of fortify everything we do. Mm. And I have two, I have two organic celery strips, a string of white cheese, two huge forkfuls of sauerkraut, of organic sauerkraut. Mm. And then I I built a fiber drink called Slenderlicious that is a pro-hormone enhanced, metabolic enhancing fiber drink so that, because I'm 61 years old and, you know, <laughs> I guess that. I thought we were similar in age. Uh, that's an interesting breakfast: two celery stalks, string cheese, yeah, and sauerkraut. Yeah, and by that time, you know, it's about that, right after after I'm done with that. And Augie and I have had our little like ritual, right? Uh-huh. And Chassie, you know, I've done whatever we're doing. Is um, you know, then I can have my coffee. So I, what I, what I love and hate is I love the fact. So I make it for her in the morning. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I get to smell it for yeah. that 90 minutes to two hours before. So it taunts me. It, yeah. it, it harasses me first thing in the morning because I just love it. And then I'll have, typically I'll have this thing called um, Collagenius, which is very naturally chocolatey flavored mushrooms. When you extract them at certain levels become chocolate and, and cocoa, the notes come out of them. So I'll have that in my coffee, which becomes an OS baseline for my, for my um, neurogenesis efforts. So thank you for sharing that routine. (laughs) Uh, I love that. So cool. Yeah. I think you're inspiring me to attempt this. And I, this for me is, I think a huge challenge that I'd like to try. So I'm saying it out loud so we can keep me accountable is waiting that 90 minutes to consume caffeine. I'm, here's what I'll do. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you some of this. Okay. Thank you. So that's your mushroom drink, and try that as a. There's zero caffeine in it. Mm-hmm. Try that as a kind of a, a to kind of fill that spot for a second, and then yeah. just wait that time. The cool thing is because of the way that the BDNF, right, brain derived neurotrophic factor, works on the brain and this kind of neurogenesis thing. It's going to raise your clarity state. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get that clarity. And, and I guarantee if you do that, what, one of the other things that you'll benefit is because you're now optimizing your adenosine receptors and your adenosine levels in your body by waiting that 90 minutes is your clarity is going to come on almost instantly upon waking instead of waiting for that first cup of Java to hit. 
Yeah. And so it, it's great. And I know, believe me, I, I come from the same place you do. It's the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know how hard it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. So the last question that Rosie usually asks guests, and I'm going to ask you, is based on the ethos of this podcast, Radically Loved, which was created out of this idea that we are all radically loved by some higher power of our choosing, right? Whether we consider that God or universe or source or, you know, the nothing or the he or the she or or whatever it is that we believe we are radically loved by some higher power. So the question is, well, sometimes Rosie will ask this in two parts. So I will ask you in two parts and you can choose to answer one or the other, or if you like both. And so the first question is, what do you radically love? And how do you feel radically loved? Oh, I I love that. Recently, I was at a retreat with my business partner, uh, Matt, and and a couple other really, really smart people. And one of the things that we do on this retreat is we declare something we would like to manifest. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was struggling with was I wanted to love my partner chastity. I wanted to love her more. I wanted to love her so much that she felt it at every moment in her day. She could just reflect on it and she would know. She would feel that vibe happening from a thousand miles away or 2000 miles away or whatever it was. And so that was my manifestation. And so we all, you know, kind of, we gathered on that and we, we spent a few minutes in meditation on that. So I know when I am expressing love at that level, that the kind of return trip, right? Compensation is much higher. I'm a geek by nature. I'm probably borderline Asperger's or, right? So my ability to technically handle things is high. My ability to emotionally deal with them goes through cycles. Mm -hmm. I've gotten better over the years, but I always had one foot in my mouth in conversations when I was younger because because I was always looking for the technical detail and I, I wasn't getting the emotional cues. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the one. When I, when I project the ultimate love to other people, whether it be chastity or whether it be my employees or friends or you right now, I mean, I, this has been such a delightful conversation, by the way. My heart is full and I feel like we had so much good riffing. I need to turn the camera on you next time, the microphone on you so that I can dig deeper into your life. I feel like I've I've monopolized this and I've, I feel bad about that. But Oh, but you're the guest. Um, I mean, this is the purpose of <laughs> us getting to hear about your story. So, but thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it's great. Um, so that's it. So, and on the other one, one is I'm fascinated by hippie parents. I love that. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy named Reeves, R-I-V-E-S. I highly recommend you look him up. He used to host uh, some TED Talks, uh-huh. the big TED Talk they have every year, like the main, not a, not a TEDx or anything like that. And if you go back to Reeves, there's a, a couple of things he did. One is, is his hosting. He takes all of the talks that happened and he builds a beat. He's a beat poet and he, mm-hmm. beats a, he builds a four to six minute beat poetry event out of it. So it's that. And then if you go, if you go Reeves Def Jam, do, do a search for Reeves, R-I-V-E-S, Deaf Jam, Deaf Poetry Jam, and go look at that one as well. I would highly recommend it. I think you'll totally dig it growing up with hippie parents. So when we look at our parents and, and the kind of ways that they navigated life with us 
you know, as we were kind of like being conformed to the things that they wanted. And, and it sounds like you had just the most badass, cool parents as well. I had these four parents. This is about love, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I had these four very different parents. I had one that said, if you're going to, one, I, I, my mother who said, you're such a smart kid. You can do anything you put your mind to, which is a great, that's the ultimate mother, right? Mm -hmm. Then I had my dad who said, if you're going to do something, do it perfect. Mm -hmm. Be excellent, do it perfect, right? So, which is a little restrictive because yeah. you got to go, okay, I got it. Like I hit, I spent six months hitting on the wall, playing tennis against a wall, not on not with human beings before I started hitting with human beings so that I would be somewhat decent mm -hmm. before I ever engaged somebody on the same court. Because again, my dad said, be perfect, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's a little scary, but it's also it was interesting. Then I had a stepmom that at the time, and again, this is not an authentic, this is how I felt at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, not how she really was. We, she and I are incredibly tight friends today. Her name is Kathleen. I call her Mama Kath. And, and we just have this, you know, this really cool vibe. But at the time, I felt like she didn't love me and that she felt that I was a loser. So I was always facing that voice of you're never going to be worth anything. You're a loser. And so, so you got, you got the ultimate love. You got the ultimate, you can do anything. You've got do it perfect. You've got the, you can't do shit. You're never going to succeed. Right. Then I had the stepdad that said, I believe in you and I believe in entrepreneurship. And I believe that's probably going to be your route because you're not going to stick around in academia. You're going to go do something off of that beaten path. And I support that. So those are four forms of love. And when you put those in a crucible and you turn the grinder on high, what you get out of that is hopefully what I've become mm -hmm. is someone that believes in others, mm -hmm. that believes in my own potential to do things. I still have imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. but I try, I beat it up on a regular basis. And I think any of us that have been able to you know, that have been accepted by a community and have been asked to participate at a high level in a community. And we wonder how the heck we got here. Like it wasn't, you know, we didn't write the business plan for it. And, and suddenly we got, you know, accomplished that where we just kind of got thrust into it. I think we look at it and go, gosh, am I really worthy of that praise or, or that acknowledgement or that, right? And so that self-acceptance is something that I go through on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, I don't say that from a, you know, from a, a bad place. I say that from a, I'm really lucky to be here. And I'm so glad that I've learned that there is a way to, to go through life not being perfect, not being everything that you think you're supposed to be. And yet that's good enough. In yeah. fact, it's more than good enough. It's awesome. And when I started getting to that place is when I realized that there's a whole bunch, probably uh, more than a hundred people out there who at one point said, you're awesome. They gave me some kind of encouragement. They gave me some kind of love. And I've been able to take that in and I've got it right over here. And when I need it, I open that little box with their voice in there. And I go, thank you for helping me realize my own potential by giving me some love that you had no idea 30 years ago when you said that offhand thing in the line at the grocery store that I was going to be able to box that up, keep it with me and open it and use it on demand. So that's such a, I, I'm kind of speechless. I, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up or even close this out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mic drop moment here for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, Mark, thank Mr. You. Newt. <laughs> um, it's been 
such a, I, sometimes I feel like words don't really do it justice. And when I try to thank someone for their time and their energy and, and presence such as, as yours, it feels like words fall flat. Oh, so remember when you're lonely, press play. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that as soon as I hang up with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. <laughs> listen, to it, listen to it three times and you'll get hooked. Okay. The way he... The way he delays the second and third vocal part going into the chorus is so incredible. It just, it'll, it'll suck you in and you won't be able to escape. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't want it. Music is one thing that it's true. And it was such a nice reminder that it has, has been such a solace and it is really like instantaneously will take me to that place of it's very soothing. It, it can change my state. It can enhance whatever sense I need to be enhanced in that moment. So thank you for that reminder. Thank oh, you so much welcome. for your time. I would love to do this again. Just, I mean, next time you're in Vancouver, let me know. Let's get a coffee or I love it. <laughs> Mighty oh, bowl are you or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds great. My treat. And then we'll go take a tour and you can see how our customization um, laboratory people in Vancouver put together the things that we hope will change people's lives. Oh, that sounds so cool. Yes, please. And we can document that and maybe share it. I don't know. That, oh, that, that might it. not That'd even be, be okay, That'd but be if we could, it'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. I will let you go about your day. I know you have your, is it jam time? It's, it's uh, the Zamner, Zamner, Zamner time, time, the Zamner hour is going to hit in another, another hour and a half. And I cannot wait, or actually in another hour. He just, Matt just updated it. He's probably listening to this. I don't know. He's feeling the vibe going, dude. He's, he's feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.